As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portson with you Tuesday morning. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with the story that was posted on the site uh, late last week about Dan Fritchie, uh, the former Blue Jacket, former Ranger and Wild as well, had by all accounts a very good NHL career, a pro hockey career, I should say. He ended in Europe. Um, but Fritchie, after hearing uh, Daniel Curcillo and others detail uh, the abuse that, he, that, that they suffered in their junior hockey days in Canada, uh, Dan was, was willing to come forward and speak to his experiences in the hope that he would make junior hockey uh, better for other kids, but also potentially his kids when his kids are old enough uh, and if they're good enough to, to play at that level. Um, and and this, so this story sort of brought home hazing, um, abuse, bullying within the, the sports world to the Blue Jackets audience. I think it personalized it for many people and it raised a lot of questions. We thought it might be a good, uh, really good, necessary, uh, but also interesting topic to find someone who could speak to what all this is about or maybe shed some light on it. And so we're pleased to be joined this morning by Jamie Houle, uh, Ohio State lead sports psychologist, you may remember his name as a, an All-American at Ohio State, part of the 2001 NCAA championship. He was a gymnast for 18 years. Uh, and now, I, you know, for many people, that would be the highlight of their, of their <laughs> career. Um, and now Jamie Hula has gone on to 
uh, become a lead sports psychologist. Uh, Dr. Hull, thanks for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, let me just start by saying this, that there, there is the potential, certainly in this conversation, it could maintain, it could contain graphic details. So a, a warning if you're with your kids, I'm not sure that it'll, it'll go into anything too bad, but just putting it out there may be upsetting to some. Um, I wanted to ask you, and first, just to set some parameters uh, with, in terms of what we're talking about here, because um, some people pass this stuff off as boys being boys or kids being kids. And I wonder, Dr. Hull, if you could tell us what, what is the line between the razzing, poking fun and mental abuse? What is the difference between horseplay and sort of traditional rituals within a team concept and abuse hazing? What is that line? And, and how clear is it? How clear should it be for us? What are we talking about here? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's an excellent question and um, obviously very, very complicated um, in that, you know, I think you, you raise a good point about boys being boys, you know, that's a cultural issue. That's, that's, that's the, that's the idea that we've developed over time that certain behavior is acceptable um, given the nature of the group. So a lot of the, you know, we're talking about hockey here, uh, locker rooms, um, that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, a lot, um, there are obviously egregious activities that are just too much that are just clearly over the line, right? These are, you know, uh, physical, abuse, um, uh, sexual type of abuse. Um, now I say that I say clearly, but there are, there are folks that just believe that that's, uh, you know, could be appropriate. Um, but you know, we're knowing, we, we're learning more and more now that this is not boys being boys. This is over the line. This is too much. Um, now where is the line? that's 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 very complicated i would say i would say a lot of a lot of times the line is within the the beholder if you will i mean it's within the person i mean the person knows what is too much now they may not have the power to say if it's too much and that's where it's complicated um you know they might in, internally they might think wow I, I this is horrible like i, I they need to just stop but they might not feel empowered to be able to say that. Uh, so that's why it gets very tricky. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking of there are other cultural ills that fall within this sort of description, but it almost requires a power imbalance, right? The, the, the bullying, the hazing, like that's part of the, the trap to all this. And, and I'm, we're shedding a light on it now. People People are, are empowered now to speak about it where before it was really taboo to take this outside um, the room, I think. So, uh, but I'm wondering, is this problem seen by you and, and, and people in your field? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it all over all kinds of sports, both male and female? What's the trend with, with all of this? Yeah, I mean, um, kind of un to unpack that a little bit. I mean, I think that um, we are definitely more aware of it. 
So with awareness becomes people become uh, more conscious about what their you know more education starts to happen. So like for example, in the NCAA level, the the guidelines of hazing are very are very stringent, um, and and people are starting to be held accountable. Um, you know, uh, the example I can think of is Maine hockey. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, I believe they were their program was ended due to the hazing um, that they had uh, the people on the team doing. So, I mean, I think the precedent's being set. Now, um, I, I, the hazing or, or that kind of behavior, you know, I think we tend to see it uh, in males but uh, in men, but I don't think in men and boys, but I don't think that doesn't mean it ha- doesn't happen in women. Um, you know, and I, I think, I, I do believe that people uh, are becoming a little, they're becoming more actively able to say the word bully, for example. Like, um, I don't know about you, but I have young kids and, and my seven-year-old is fluid in being able to use the word bully. Hmm. Like that person over there is a bully. And I don't know, I, I mean, I grew up in the late 80s and I, I, I don't think people were pointing fingers and going, you're a bully. Yeah. You know, I think people right. knew who, who they were, um, but the power differential was such that it just uh, was allowed to happen. But yeah. now teachers know more about it. Coaches have to go through trainings, you know? Uh, so I think that it, I would say it probably is happening less than it was 30 years ago. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, one thing that's always interested me, and, and I think probably most people listening to this uh, probably have played sports at some level, team sports at some level. And I've always, like, some of this stuff is so out there, so graphic, so over the top. I've, I've always wondered, what is the seed of this? Like, it, it seems like in the, the teams that I was familiar with growing up, if anybody would have suggested doing any of this, in other words, if this was the starting point of it, hey, let's do this to this group of guys. Some of these things are so obscene and so bizarre that my feeling has always been that people would would look at the person suggesting this and think, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering where where does it start? What is the seed of all this? And is it just sort of passed down traditionally in, within a program, within a team, this is how we do it. And so it's not really up to the people to create it, but merely to continue it. Is that how it, is that, how does it start and, and how does it keep going? Can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so um, again, um, um, the, this idea of culture is so very important. Um, you know, I, I, it creates the foundation for what is normal and what is not normal, yeah. what is expected and what is not expected. And so when somebody breaks a cultural norm within a team, then, then, then people are up at arms and something usually happens about it or, yeah. or that's the hope, right? Um, you know, and so, uh, and, and if they break the norm, it's unusual. And, and people and people are very aware of it. Um, you know, th- there is a very very famous study done in the se- in the early seventies uh, by a psychologist named Zimbardo, 
Um, and he did what was called a Stanford prison experiment. And it was a very interesting experiment where he randomly picked out of participants. You can't do this anymore, FYI. <laughs> this is way beyond what you're allowed to do anymore. But he basically randomly picked who would be prisoners and who would be guards out of a sample population that participated. And, and what he noticed is that the guards became emboldened to um, treat the prisoners who were not actual prisoners, just random people two seconds ago, um, increasingly worse. And, mm. and, and uh, to the point that they had to stop them. Mm. And um, so that became, he set up the culture, the norm that you, are, you have power and you don't have power. And then they ran with it because I think there is inherently this idea of power. I, I think people are drawn to power. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so that's a famous study. Another famous study is this, the Milgram study uh, back in the day where um, people um, were, were uh, pushing a button that would cause you again, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> it caused perceived pain right, to another right. person that they couldn't see. And they opted and they kept going. And what they were doing is they were instructed to do it by somebody in a lab coat. And the lab coat, like the power of the lab coat, people believe that they just had to do what that person said. So if you extrapolate that to sport, you think about people with power. You think about coaches. You think about seniors or captains or people who have been there for 20 years. If these are the people that are saying, do this egregious thing, then you might go, well, that person obviously knows what they're talking about. And if they say something like this, like, I, I went through this too. Yeah. It, it, it gives a normalcy to it that is not normal. Wow, crazy. Dr. Hull, I wanted to ask you, it, it, you know, you just spoke about culture. How do we manage the balance between this is harmful, this, this culture needs to be disrupted versus, and so many of us have been in sports at different levels, but we, we hear that it's such a part of a team's success to have team identity. We hear things like us against the world. We, we hear about building that idea of it's us and, and we know what's going on in our little group. How do we balance that against, no, you have to fight against that team culture? Oh, yeah, no, that's a very good point. So you're, you're I guess one of the things that comes to my mind when you say that is kind of like, if the culture is building, how do you kind of go against that? So if yeah. it is very much we and us and we have these norms, how would you fight against that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the hope is that part of that culture is open dialogue. Mm. So um, the leaders would be open to hearing from everybody. I don't care if you're a rookie or you've been there for 20 years. The hope is that the culture is open to having somebody come up and go, hey, you know, you know what, that, that's messed up. That thing that just happened is not all right. You, you hope for that open uh, culture. You, this gives me, uh, it makes me also think about uh, a book I just re- recently read called The Culture Code. Mm-hmm. And they talk about um, Pixar, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the most you know, successful brands. And they will have um, folks from the janitorial staff come in and rip their new movies that they're creating <laughs> um, and give them a bunch of feedback. 
And that is a type of culture that says you are part of us no matter what. Hmm. And, and so, and that's a very successful culture. And so, you know, the cultures that, that are more toxic are the ones that you are supposed to be seen and not heard. Do what I say. I don't care what you, how you feel about that, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. As people on the outside, what should we, what can we do maybe if anything, whether it's children or friends, what tools can we try to give to those in a team environment to successfully navigate being strong enough to fight against a toxic culture? Um, you know, I think, well, you know, I think on the very micro level, it begins with discussion, uh, with our children about what is okay and what is not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, as, as, as young as children's stories now, there are, there are stories you can read to your children about, uh, how to identify what feels like an okay thing and what feels like, uh, not okay thing, you know, like, uh, like no, you know, uh, they talk about like healthy, like, like, okay, touch. Um, and then things like secret touch, mm-hmm. which is like a nice way to talk to kids about what is not okay. Um, I think so we, we need to speak to our children about that. Uh, we as uh, uh, coaches or mentors or teachers can speak to kids as well about it. Um, but also like if you are a parent or, or, or somebody kind of going into these atmospheres, it's being able to ask the coach, you know, tell me about your culture, hmm. you know, tell me how, how, what, what kind of culture have you created? Um, how does communication work within your team? So if my kid has a problem or is experiencing, say, for example, bullying or some kind of hazing, how would he be able to talk to you? And hmm. what are ramifications? You know, and what are you going to do if there are ramifications against my kid for speaking up? What will Hmm. you do as the leader? Hmm. That's awesome. You know, so, you you know, I think coaches more than ever, uh, very difficult field for sure. uh, But they are being held very, very accountable these days. It's not the kids, it's the coach uh, and their culture. One of the things that, that you know, kind of turns my stomach when we see athletes come forward with allegations of abuse, particularly years later, is you'll always see that pushback of, oh, this guy is just washed up and you know, now he's blaming it on this, that, and the other thing. Can you articulate for us how these experiences of abuse can really impact a person's performance, mental health, physical health? What are the the impacts of of what happens to these athletes and these experiences yeah i mean that's um i'll tell you what honestly one of one of the major things that i've recognized in my career as i've gone on is the the impact of trauma Hmm. and how that just ripples through people's lives and and through their relationships you know um uh and and you know um there, you know, not to simplify it too much, but there's an idea that there's like trauma, big T. So these are like things like sexual assault and, and rape, uh, you know, big things like car accidents, that kind of stuff. And trauma, little T, which is like these microaggressions towards people over time that create this sense of you are less than, you are less than. Um, so this, so trauma can affect, um, 
folks' self-esteem. It can affect how they see themselves, how they see the world, um, how they should be treated by other people. So, you know, um, it it, it can become easier and easier to allow uh, uh, folks to um, just step over boundaries for them because boundaries have been crossed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, and so... Um, you know, and you talked about culture, we talked about culture earlier, you know, if there's a culture of violence, uh, or like uh, assault, um, then that becomes like, that's how we handle problems Mm -hmm. is through violence, or raising our voice or throwing things or something like that. So it can really um, ripple through uh, uh, a person's life. And and basically, the quick example of like, kind of how trauma affects your your brain is basically it um it it creates a uh if there is a big trauma especially it creates a increased likelihood that you will respond to non um highly traumatic things with a traumatic response so Mm -hmm. let me give you an example so if i uh the, 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 the clearest example I can think of is, is fireworks and a veteran. So, um, you know, we all love fireworks. Fourth of July is coming up. Um, but, you know, fireworks are awfully close to uh, bombs and gunfire. And so what happens is it's registered in your brain as gunfire. And then your body responds as if you are in the past trauma. So you do fight, mm-hmm. flight, freeze. So you might just freeze up. Or you might say, I got to get out of here. Or you might um, get very, very agitated. So if these traumas happen previously in your life, you might begin to respond in these ways to non, seem, seemingly non-traumatic uh, events. And that's when people start to go, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? Like, how come you're getting so mad or, or something like that? Um, a long answer to your question, but that's kind of how I see it. It, one of the common themes that, that, that always seems to surface in these situations where it's prolonged and it's, it's within the culture of the team and it's over several years, and I'm referencing Sarnia, but also other situations. I mean, it, it goes, it's, it's Penn State, it's Ohio State, it's the Catholic Church, it's Michigan State, it's USA Gymnastics, it's everything. I don't think anyone's been spared of this, but one of the common threads seems to be, to me anyways, and tell me if I'm wrong, that there is there is a lack of oversight at the top, or rather, it, maybe it's not a lack of oversight, but it's a lack of either period having someone there, but B, it being effective. There is sort of outsized power of the people in charge to control your future to control um, how you're seen and and nobody questions that power which is what allows people to get trapped and feel as though they have no way out dan fritchie saying if i were to leave during my draft year a nobody would have believed me and they would have they would have looked poorly upon me because i wasn't tough enough to to stick it out and B it could have ruined my draft year and I may not have been drafted by an NHL team. So there you have the power of someone 
to make you feel powerless to question them. Who are you to question this person? And B, you may really screw up what your life's dream is. Are those things always present? Are they always there and, and prevalent, Dr. Uh, you, you know, um, not to be too much of a psychologist here, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I hesitate to always say always. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> but though you, you're, you're hitting on the big themes there, though. I mean, I think that those are the those are the those are really key characteristics to to set a foundation for dangerous things to happen, which is, you know, um, you, you know, I, I go back to my experience as well. But like, the, you know, this experience of the gymnast or, or the experience of the, you know, the NHL going, you know, these are dreams. These are dreams that people have. Yeah. They have worked their entire lives for this outcome. And we are told as Americans in, in this culture, this, this go 150%, go above and beyond, do anything, sacrifice for your dreams. Um, and what if that sacrifice or whatever is seen as, 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 as keeping your mouth shut um, related to what happens to you? You know, um, and that's what, you know, especially, you know, um, when these things come out about uh, large organizations um, covering up, it's like, you know, they have the power in these situations to say to somebody, uh, you know what, we'll handle it. Uh, don't worry, we'll handle it. And then it just never gets dealt with. And the message there is yeah. it's, it's not important. It's not as important mm -hmm. as you think it is uh, maybe. And then, and then victim blaming, like, what did you do to cause this? Um, you know, and so all these dynamics set up for silence and just take that problem and just internalize it. Yeah. And I don't ask this to cut any slack to the people who perpetuate this abuse, this bullying, this, this hazing on other players. But I'm, I wonder about the cycle of all of this and how, like, I, the, the players that did this horrible stuff to Daniel Carcillo, to Dan Fritchie and others in Sarnia, I'm, I have reason to believe it was done to them as well. And I, I wonder about the cycle of this, how, the, how much easier it becomes to be an abuser if you have been previously abused. In other words... It, it gets into the mindset once, once you've endured this, that now your job almost to make yourself whole is to return the favor and do this to somebody else. Is that what, what's the psychology that goes into players perpetuating these horrors that have once been perpetuated to them? Yeah. I mean, um, well, if you, if you think about it kind of similar to what you're saying, if something pretty horrible happened to you along the way, you probably feel a certain way about that. I mean, you would feel, you know, um, I, I feel like it's not too bold to go out online and say, you know, uh, I don't know many people who are going, yeah, yeah, that was fine. Yeah. You know what, you know, <laughs> I, I was totally cool with that. So, I mean, I think that it, it just, um, so what you do with that depends on the individual person. 
Um, there are people that will pass that off and go, you know, um, because this, the, the, the anger that will come from it, because I went through this, then everybody's got to go through it because it's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair if I, I went through this and others don't. Um, and so, but you think about that, you think about uh, when, when we come to trauma, these are very primal responses, fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. So that, you know, um, they, they respond out of that. So, you know, these are traumatic experiences, whether the person likes it or not. And so if we don't face the trauma, then we don't know how we're going to act out of the trauma. And so, so maybe we have people who have had this experience and they go forward and they, and they go, you know what? I absolutely, nobody's going to pass through my locker room and not go through this. I went through it and you're going to go through it. But I would say to that person, what's the angst about? How come, how come that oh. person, what if we just don't do it to that person? What, what's going on for you that you're going to make them go through it? What's that about? Yeah. You know, um, but you know, <laughs> not every locker room has a psychologist in it going, oh, oh, wait a minute. Let's just wait before you act on that. <laughs> yeah. Would you think about that? <laughs> you know? right. Right. Um, yeah. Again, the culture. Yeah. And so much of this seems sexualized too, at least in the stories that I've read. And I mean, I don't know if that is an element of, of this to, to bring shame into it, to, to make it even more unlikely that the person would speak up or come forward or shine a light on this because they feel they, 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 the, the acts have, have brought shame to them. Um, there is all sorts of uh, sort of underlying homophobia in some of this as well. Can you, can you speak to what, how much sexuality and, and, and acts like that are used to, to play into all of this? Um, yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, male, male sports, um, and the dominance of this homophobia is very present. Um, I mean, I think we're making progress on it, but I think um, it, it, it is there. I mean, I think the idea uh, of um, the deep, deep shame that can be caused by uh, male sexual assault, yeah, especially by uh, another man, is... Um, you know, it, you, I never, ever want to compare shame between people. But, you know, that, what I'll say is just that, that, that the male culture on teams and the homophobia creates a unique type of shame. And um, that uh, men will lock down pretty tight. And, and maybe even pass it off as something that it's not because they don't want, they may not want to face the fact that that was, I was sexually assaulted by a man. Um, and so, um, you know, even right now, as we talk about it, it's a very uncomfortable topic. And, 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 you know, so, and we're just talking about it yeah. versus people who experience it, you know? So I, th I think there is something to be said about how shame uh, creates any kind of distance, uh, a lot of distance for 
uh, talking about it. Dr. Hool, I have just one last question for you. You know, we've, we're in this period where people are coming forward or maybe perhaps it's finally being heard about past abuses. You're around younger people. You're around people who are in the athletic experience now. Maybe, I guess, what is, what is kind of the state of the union, if you will? Are, are, are we treating these experiences better? Do you feel there's still so much work to do to create the culture that allows people to come forward with these experiences? Are, are, 10 years from now, are we going to have a whole nother slew of, of stories when people are finally heard? Where are we? If, if you can Yeah, I mean, we're definitely that. making progress. Um, people, um, you know, I think about the Me Too movement. I mean, uh, we are, mm-hmm. uh, folks are being believed more and more now, which is, is really great. Right. Um, that does not mean, though, that the power, the power structure doesn't still exist, um, where people are silenced mm-hmm. and, 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 and the like. But I think we're definitely making progress to the point that people are really, you know, you know, uh, feeling more, they, they, uh, folks are feeling more accountable, you know, and feeling like they are responsible for setting up a culture where, you know, uh, you got to say something, you know, um, uh, I've been in many meetings where leaders have, have said, listen, like, you got it, you got to let everybody know that if they see something or hear something, they got to tell somebody, you know, and, and that, that is, that's great. You know, uh, I think teachers now in schools are more, uh, again, you, they're getting training on bullying. They're being held accountable. If they see bullying, that they have to do something about it. They're not allowed to just stand there anymore. Um, and then in, within sport culture, oh. I mean, I think we're, we're getting better at um, uh, holding uh, folks accountable. Um, uh, and, and folks are losing their jobs, you know, um, and, and that's, that it shows that the ramifications are serious, that this will not get swept under the rug. And, um, and, you know, I think people, at least in my office come in and I'm just hearing more and more and more examples of folks who have experienced trauma. And, and uh, it's, um, that is what that is. Uh, Dr. Hull, if I were a general manager or a coach and I came to you and said that I want to make sure that my organization doesn't have any of this, or probably more realistically, if any of this stuff starts to crop up that we recognize it and we're able to quash it immediately, what are what what should teams do? Is it is it putting it's putting the pe- right people in power, I'm sure, but what sort of systems need to be set up? What sort of, of instructions need to be dictated to, to every level of the organization? Well, that's, um, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think if I had an awesome answer for that, I would be a very rich man. Um, but I mean, I think (laughs) I'm working on it. Um, so, but I, I think it's gotta be about kind of like trust and lines of communication trust has to be you know and like and 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 there's got to be ways to communicate within the team that you know i have to be able to trust that i can share this information with you and there aren't going to be negative ramifications back on me right Uh, and it's got to be like openness and 
and again, to go back to that book, The Culture Code, one of the major things they talk about is establishing trust. And then the other part is about vulnerability. You know, I talked about Pixar letting folks come in and rip their movies. It's like, that is a very vulnerable experience. So it's like, it's almost like allowing mm-hmm. GMs or like uh, owners or coaches or whatever to like get feedback and be open to it. Like, hey, what do you think I'm doing well? What do you think I'm doing horribly? What can be changed? So that creates a culture on the team that people can go, you know what? This actually happened two months ago. And I thought, oh my gosh, like we can't do this anymore. Um, and I, I just wanted to say that, you know, and so we, and, and people have to be receptive to hearing it. So trust and vulnerability, I think, are paramount to allowing people to, because uh, allowing people to, to voice their opinion, because people see it happen. It's not like yeah. people don't see it happen ever, right? But it's about, it, it just stays within them. So what's that about? How come somebody sees something and goes, uh, uh, I can't talk about that? You know, yeah. we need them to see it right. and go, hey, hey, you, stop what you're doing. I'm, you know, we need to go get somebody right now. You know, we need that kind of uh, yeah. accountability. Yeah. Um, how much respect do you have for players like uh, Fritchie and others who, though years later, find it in themselves to go public with stuff that they probably years ago could never have imagined talking about how much respect should we have for for people who put their face and their name on something like this i mean i uh that's really hard to quantify i mean a tremendous respect so much so much bravery i mean the the to take something that you know we talked about shame earlier shame lives in darkness shame lives in silence so to be able to open up and to share and to feel safe enough to do that is a huge risk. It's like walking off a cliff. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, there are people that I'm sure have came out after he came out and, and said probably horrible things to him that, that, you know, that is mm-hmm. reprehensible. But I mean, I think it's, it's, it, it shows a huge uh, misunderstanding about trauma and, and what and I won't go too far down that road, but uh, you know, it shows huge bravery. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't play hockey. Hockey looks very, very difficult. Um, uh, but I, what I would say is this experience coming forward is more difficult than, than hockey. It, it, it's in my opinion, as a psychologist, you know, and so yeah. for him to do that, I, I applaud it. I, you know, talk about vulnerability. I mean, he came out and just said it and, and, and I, I think we should rally around him and support him. It's awesome. Uh, Dr. Hull, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate appreciate the time and um, appreciate the space to be able to talk about this because um, to be able to name trauma, talk about abuse is very difficult. But I think the more we do it, the the more we make space for people to kind of tell their own truth. Yeah, that is the hope. And and so hopefully – Hopefully this discussion will help in, in a, a little way. And, and I think Dan Fritchie's willingness to step forward and many others will, will give players maybe a, a little more confidence to, to push back and to go public. And, 
And it may scare the hell out of teams to realize that this is what just kills me is I can't imagine they think that this is beneficial or positive towards building a healthy, productive team. Like the, the payoff of this would seem zero to compared to the damage that's caused by this. How much better could you be if you root all of this stuff out? So hopefully, Hopefully, the small steps are being taken. But thank you so much for joining us and and uh, being with us this morning on Front Nation. Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I guess um, the last thing I just want to say, I just want to say this real quick. If people are listening to this and they feel like this is having them remember things about things they've gone through, or or it's kind of uh, triggering in some way, I encourage folks to reach out to mental health professionals in their area or. Or, uh, you know, NHL Mm -hmm. now has psychologists that work with their teams and counselors. I encourage folks to reach out uh, and um, be able to talk through this with a professional because what we know is that all these things are very horrific. Uh, People people get better. People heal through the process of therapy uh, and and medicine and, and the such. So I just wanted to say that real quick. I'm glad you did. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.